Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. Hi, I'm Mark Kramer, a serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. If everyone can please make sure that you're muted, that would be great. So please allow me to introduce you uh, to our two sponsors, uh, Matt Butler, Thanks, Mark. Good afternoon, everyone. Gallup surveys say that three in 10 US employees strongly agree they have the tools and equipment they need to do their work right. That means the other 70% have to come up with creative solutions to get there. And those are called workarounds as far as we're concerned. And a workaround is a way of getting work done without solving the problem. But in our workshops, what we found is those workarounds, well-intentioned workarounds by good people in your organization often cause your largest and greatest business challenges. That's why we come up with our proprietary visual imaging process. We work with your internal subject matter experts to show them for the first time how your process is actually causing your problems. We're so confident in this process that we're always willing to take our compensation as a portion of your savings and increase profitability. So if you wanna reduce organizational stress and improve your competitive position, give us a call. Thanks, Mark. Matt, thank you very much. John Custer. Thank you, Mark. I'm a partner in Custer & Custer, a family-owned law firm outside Philadelphia. We work with entrepreneurs and family-owned businesses ranging in size from startups to lower middle market. Custer & Custer works with clients on matters from incorporations to protecting and licensing intellectual property to vendor contracts to buying and selling businesses. There's no cost to talk to us about your issue, and depending on the project, we can quote you a flat rate. So please feel free to contact us at CusterCuster.com. John, thank you very much. Well, I, I myself am very excited to have Jen Groover today. Uh, Jen, who along with writing this uh, thought-provoking, very practical book, uh, The More Method, which I am showing you right here, is an entrepreneur and one of the world's top motivational speakers. I've known Jane amazingly over a decade and met her as just as she was starting out with her uh, motivational speaking. And I've had Jen come and speak at my classes at Temple, St. Joe's, Drexel. And my students always walked away saying that they were, Jen actually changed their lives, which is fantastic. So Jen, welcome. Hi, hi everyone, happy to be here. <laughs> Thrilled to have you. And I uh, hope you're doing well, considering everything that's going on. Yep, just taking one life of lockdown at a time. Yep, of course. <laughs> positive at trying to uh, navigate the new waters, uh, make some adjustments to business, and start new businesses uh, based on new trends, which is an exciting time for entrepreneurs as well. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. And so tell us about where you're from and what was your first professional aspiration as you entered college? So I'm from Delaware County, uh, so I know many of you are local, so you would know where that is. Uh, my dad grew up in Chester, PA. My mom was from Brooklyn, New York, and uh, had a very interesting, somewhat traumatic childhood, uh, which I believe uh, set up the skill sets that I needed to be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, resiliency, adaptability, uh, the ability to escape in imagination and use creativity as, as capital. Uh, and so when I was going to college, I really didn't have much aspiration um, in the sense of having clarity as to what I was doing. School for me was 
my place to master my social skills, which as we all know are very important. Uh, and school was a, a place of escape uh, for me. And so um, when I went to college, it was more for uh, just the next step of life that everybody else was doing. So I was kind of going along with it. Um, when I went to college though, early on, in my first semester, I studied psychology. I took a psychology 101 class. And it was the first time in my life that I ever felt connected, truly connected to curricula, where I felt that what I was learning was purposeful, uh, that I could apply it to life. And, and most importantly for me was helping me understand my childhood and the dynamics of what happened in my childhood. And it was something that I got so passionate about because the more I learned, about the study of human behavior, the more I realized that that was one type of curriculum every single person should be learning. And, and they weren't. It was an elective for many. Uh, and, and to me, I thought it should be mandatory curriculum uh, because we're, we have all one thing in common and it's human behavior, right? And um, the more we understand human behavior, the more we can be successful in every single aspect of life, in business, as a parent, uh, just as a person contributing to community. So. I wasn't sure what was going to happen at that point with my future, but I knew that psychology was definitely going to become part of it. Uh, so as I continued studying, I declared my major in education and psychology. Uh, and just by default, started my first business in college. Uh, I had always been an athlete. Uh, and, and so when I went home during a break, I went to do a step aerobics class to keep working out. And I totally just completely aged myself, I know. Uh, for those who, who know when the step aerobics boom started, it was in the early 90s. And uh, it was so fun for me because up to that as an athlete, all the workouts that we were doing literally made you feel like you're gonna vomit. So this was exciting where I would work out, feel like the time would fly, listen to music, so when I went back to college, I asked all the administrators uh, if they could give me a space, uh, 100 steps and a boom box, literally a boom box, the cassette player, and uh, I would take it from there. And that is one of the first or the first business venture I had without realizing I was creating a business, would charge everybody $3 a class. Uh, and, and so it became a business without intentionally starting one, but just out of passion of wanting to have everyone work out with me. So, um, yeah. Tell me something about some of your entrepreneurial ventures, especially the handbag you created. Yeah, so, so that was the beginning of, of entrepreneurship for me. Uh, you know, really understanding how good it felt to create something and to be passionately connected to something. So when I graduated college with my degree uh, in education psychology uh, and my passion for fitness, I continued uh, getting certifications in nutrition and physiology and started a business uh, in the fitness industry right out of college in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, and then I became a national level fitness competitor, worked with Reebok on the aerobics performance team. And, and throughout this process, I think it's important to note that I really wasn't sure what the direction was that I was going in. But like many entrepreneurs, each step led to another uh, pedestal in the right direction, led to another stepping stone in the right direction. So as a fitness competitor traveling the world, I was fortunate enough to meet many incredible thought leaders on mindset training, ones that were um, 
leading the way in this whole actualization of understanding that when you control your mind, you control your life. And those people were so attractive to me. And I sat at the feet of many of them, paid them to be my mentors, and will learn as much as possible for it from them. Because the degree, the foundation in psychology is, is more theory. What they were teaching is application. How do you really master your thoughts? How do some people become uh, consistently successful but never peak to their potential? And for me, I wanted to be able to peak to my potential. And so I would apply all of these lessons in my business and, and continue evolving and growing as an entrepreneur. I believe that entrepreneurship is really a journey of self-transformation. And so one of the things that I started doing at that time was uh, becoming a spokesperson for other brands on QVC. And as I was doing this, I would look around and observe people and their behavior, what their thought processes were, how they became successful. And I realized a lot of the people were no different than me. They just were passionate, they had ideas, and they had the courage to take a lot of risk and turn it into multi-million dollar companies. And so I would speak to a lot of these people, I'd ask a lot of questions, I'd start to apply the lessons I was learning from my mentors around how to really uh, master your thought processes, under, identify the beliefs that you have subconsciously and consciously that hold you back from becoming more successful. And I started really evaluating these beliefs and a, an enormous tipping point for me uh, that really uh, accelerated the trajectory of success was realizing that I had this belief that if I failed at something, I was a failure. My dad was in the military and failure's not an option was a mantra that was in my house as a child. So I realized that this belief that, that was projected on me was something that was really crippling my ability to be more successful. And so I uh, identified that um, what the process in, in, in mindset training is when you identify a belief that's holding you back, you flip the belief to create a new belief. Usually it's an inverse of the belief. And, and you create a new greater value of the new behavior. So for me, when I identified this fear of failure, I created a new belief. And the new belief was I have more fear of regret than I have of failure. And I would say that mantra over and over again, because that's how you reprogram your brain. I have more fear of regret than I have a failure. And so as I started to believe that belief, I started to see new and different opportunities presenting in front of me. And I had more courage to take the chance because I realized that failure was just part of the process on the journey to success. So during this time period, when you're changing your brain, you're changing your perspective, and you're changing how you navigate and view the world. So fast forward a little bit. I was blessed with twins uh, 16 years ago, and uh, those twins uh, really inspired a lot of inventions for me to make my life easier. Uh, one which, which you had talked about, Mark, was the Butler Bag Company. Uh, which was inspired by my girls screaming, crying in a grocery store line uh, that made me think, uh, how is it possible that we as women accept a bucket for a handbag? Like literally a bucket, water, put lining there and water and a mop and it is a bucket. So my mom had a belief you're not allowed to complain about something unless you back it up with a solution. So that programming had me thinking as I was leaving the grocery store that night, 
what can I possibly do about this? How can I change this? How can I create the solution? And so this was all happening at that time period that I was really adjusting this belief, this relationship that I had with my fear of failure. So I, I kind of kept questioning, how can I change this? I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm not a designer. I can't even draw a stick figure very well. How am I going to innovate or invent new technology in a handbag? So a few months after this grocery store experience happened, I was unloading my dishwasher, which I'd done since I was a child because it was a childhood chore of mine. And uh, I happened to see a new opportunity in the dishwasher as I was unloading the utensils. And I realized that how the utensils were standing up straight in the dishwasher was exactly how I wanted everything in my handbag to be, standing up straight so I could have a bird's eye view of the knives, forks, and spoons. And so I took the dishwasher tray out of the dishwasher, stuck it in my handbag, and that became the prototype for the company that you referred to, Mark, which is, was the Butler Bag Company, which uh, was one of the fastest growing handbag brands in history. So let's talk about your new book. Uh, yeah. uh, what made you write this book, and what did you learn along the way from writing it? So... Uh, the book was inspired by my 20 plus years of teaching human potential. As I mentioned, the foundation of a, a dysfunctional childhood is life experience, right? Uh, building on that, the degree in psychology and education, and then the continued life experiences and trainings in uh, nutrition, physiology, emotional intelligence, uh, neuroscience, quantum physics, and metaphysics all rolled up into one. And while being an entrepreneur, I would put all of these principles and practices or best of practices from these different disciplines into, into play. And so entrepreneurship has been um, basically my, my social experiment of testing these different theories. And so my, my obsession though has, and my focus, my goal has always been to figure out how we can optimize who we are, how we can become our best version self, how we can live to a greater potential than we even thought was possible, not just professionally, but personally as well. And so the more method uh, is the culmination of all those different disciplines in my 20 plus years of teaching human potential with the underlying goal uh, as I'm teaching this all over the world and speaking in front of audiences, this underlying goal was how do I take all of these complex disciplines and simplify into a methodology that anyone at any stage of life can get from where they are to where they want to go. And the more method is that it's a methodology that teaches anyone at any stage of life, how to be their best version self better tomorrow than today and so on. Uh, and so it's bringing all these disciplines together and, and the, the, the methodology more, the word more is an acronym. Uh, and, and so, so that this acronym can be used as a framework for anyone to really audit their daily lives of how they're doing. Right? So the M stands for mindfulness. The more we are mindful in life, the more we will get out of life. And, and mindfulness isn't just this, theoretic thing where you're meditating and doing yoga mindfulness is basically an auditing system of your life and and that's how i present it in the book because that's how i helped people bring this ideology of mindfulness into something that's tangible mindfulness of the thoughts you're 
thinking, the quality of the thoughts you're thinking, the words you're choosing, mindful of the people you're surrounding yourself with. And are they adding value to your life or distracting from the value that you want to add to the world? Uh, mindful of what you're doing to your body, how you're taking care of your body, how you're spending your free time. And so that's the foundation of everything. Once we become mindful of those things, we can consistently audit how we're doing on a daily basis and course correct when we get off course. So the O is building on that. The O is the optimization of body and brain. The more we optimize our bodies, the more we can mentally and physically excel. And a lot of people never make this connection. They think eating healthy is just about gaining weight or losing weight. But the realization is when we treat our bodies and brains more effectively with how we eat, how we sleep, how we hydrate, supplement, all of those daily habits that we're in control of, we will basically shape our lives to work smarter or harder. And I personally love working smarter than harder. So I share this information with people to help them really up-level their performance by up-leveling their mental clarity, their focus, productivity, energy. And, and so that's what the O really helps people understand. All these different daily habits that we have either are hurting us or they're helping us. And the more they're helping us, the more we can leverage our time. It's literally a time hack strategy uh, when we realize how to properly fuel our bodies and brains. The R is uh, living more responsibly versus reactively. Most people are conditioned to react to things until they learn how to respond to things instead of react to them. So this is the emotional intelligence component. And this is teaching people how to pause more often in life, how to reflect before they react. So really assess, you know, why am I getting triggered right now? Why am I feeling angry right now? Is this really real? And then move into the next step, which is reframe. So how do I reframe this so I don't react? So I stay calm and centered. So I stay in control. So I, I am a better version of myself with how I interact with this person who has just triggered me. And then last part of it is then when we re-engage. So it's pause, reflect, reframe, and then re-engage. This could happen in a matter of seconds or it can happen in a matter of hours or days, it, it, the, but the formula remains the same. So when we re-engage, the goal is to always re-engage as emotionally calm and centered as possible with the best version of yourself. So when someone triggers you and you know you're not being the best version of yourself, you could even excuse yourself of, hey, listen, I would like to process what just happened and come back as a better version of myself. And in doing that, we will get so much more out of all our relationships and communication that happens throughout our lives. And lastly, the E is excelling in all aspects of life. So this is talking about holistic success. When we approach life in, in the terms of being holistically successful, we will get so much more out of life. We'll be more fulfilled. We'll be more happy. We'll be more harmonious with ourselves and, and everyone we're in relationship with. And the way this is broken down is I've identified four key quadrants of life. So there's the professional achievement quadrant. There's the health and well-being quadrant. There is our relationship quadrant. And then our personal evolution quadrant. 
And, and the thing is, most people focus on one or two of those quadrants and often ignore the other quadrants. And what happens is they might get successful in one or two of those quadrants, but eventually the wheels start to fall off the bus when they have this imbalance going on in their lives. So let's say we're really working towards our professional achievement, but ignoring our health, which many do, on that journey to success. Well, all of a sudden we wake up and we're unhealthy and that totally makes the wheels fall off the bus in our professional achievement category, as well as our relationships, as well as our own personal evolution. So the theory of this is to approach nurturing each one of those quadrants of our lives every day, really focus on not just becoming successful professionally, but successful in our health and well-being, successful in our relationships, and most importantly, successful in our own personal evolution. And so the more method teaches people how to get more of everything they desire in life by using that formula uh, in order to really be a strategy. So we're not born with a strategy of being holistically successful, but as a strategy to everyday implement um, and, and engage in life in a, in a higher potential and a, in a greater intentional way. So I've got a bunch of different ones I want to ask you about that I read about in the book. One of the things you talk about is a belief blind spot. What's a belief blind spot? And how do you utilize that to, uh, in a positive way? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the thing that was holding me back that changed my trajectory of success as an entrepreneur was understanding that whenever we don't have outcomes in our lives that we don't like, we have a belief that is attached to it, or beliefs. So I'm gonna say that again, because this is really important understanding of human behavior to change, to make change for yourself, or if you're a leader, to make change for others. Whatever outcomes that we have in our lives right now that we do not like, there is a belief or beliefs attached to it that we must identify in order to change the beliefs, which then changes our habits, which then changes our outcomes. Most people don't even know that they have these beliefs, which is why they're called blind spots, because many of these beliefs were programmed by other people before we were even old enough to analyze what the beliefs were. So 80% of your subconscious mind was programmed before you were seven years of age, seven, which means that you were programmed by your parents or your grandparents or school teachers, your community, whatever that is for you. That's the first place to start to look and try to understand what were those beliefs? Who were my programmers? That's exa exactly what they were, your programmers. Who are my programmers? And what are my programmers' beliefs around these things? So let's just say it's, it's about money. And, and you, you know, you're professionally always striving and you always plateau at a certain level. Then we would need to start to say, okay, I'm not happy about this plateau. That's the outcome you don't like. And what are those beliefs? Do I think money is hard to come by? Do I think the economy is holding me in, in hostage of what I'm trying to accomplish? What are all those beliefs around money? And when we identify the belief, then we must flip the belief, change the belief so that we can change the outcome. We can never change the outcome long-term without changing the beliefs. We can will ourselves to change, and, and force our behaviors to change, but usually that is only short term. It's not sustainable. So 
if you don't mind, Mark, if I could just give one more example for this, because this is so profound for people to really get over hurdles of where they're stuck in life. Okay. So another great example that's universal that many people understand is the gym. <laughs> January 1st, year after year, we see droves of new people heading to the gym with the intention of this is it, this is my year, I'm going to do it, I'm going to work out every day, I'm going to eat healthy. And, and they've made that commitment many years in the past and never met their goals. They were not sustainable in their goals. And so the reason is, is because they never change their beliefs. Year after year, they set these goals without changing their beliefs. So let's just say the belief is, I hate exercise. It's torturous. It hurts. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like going to the gym because I feel uncomfortable because I think people are looking at me. Whatever those beliefs are, if they're intact and they're not being changed, you are literally using willpower, motivation, which is just an igniter to success. You're using willpower to force yourself to the gym day after day instead of transforming who you are to want to go to the gym after, day after day. So what I would need to do in this case is change my belief around exercise. And I would have to flip it like I love exercise. It makes me feel so much more productive. It gives me so much more energy. It makes me so much more energized throughout my workday and I get along with people so much better. So I flip the be belief into positive things and then I add that value. So the value for me in that statement is I love exercising because it makes me more productive. I value being productive. So it's not just flipping the belief, but it attaching a new greater value to the new behavior that truly creates the transformational process. So every day when I go to the gym, in the beginning, I still might not like exercise, but I repeat this new belief system to myself all day, every day. Going to the gym, I love exercise. I love being productive. I love how I feel. Thinking about how good productivity feels. And eventually, after about a month of this, varies between people 21 days 28 days creating a new habit you eventually your body your brain eventually just starts to believe this new belief and eventually you don't even need to think it you're just going in the gym every day because you know it makes you feel good makes you feel productive and allows you to excel at a higher level of life so uh the the blind spots and beliefs is the most important thing for people who are consistently already striving, they're already motivated, but keep getting stuck. This is the blind spot that they need to know about in order to truly tr create long-term change. So one of the things you wrote about in your book uh, was the sum that uh, you become the sum of the five people you're around the most. What do you mean by that? Right, so who we surround ourselves with affect how we feel, affects how we think, affects how we strive. So if we are consistently surrounding ourselves with people that are negative, it is going to bring you down and, and, and impose negative thought processes. Even if you're positive yourself, it will impose those negative thought processes upon you, which will affect you adversely, negatively, in a mental and emotional and uh, physiological state. So you have to evaluate, are the people that I'm surrounding with myself with adding value to my life or are they distracting value from my life or, or draining energy from my life? So there's a movie that's coming out soon that was actually inspired by 
uh, by Delco uh, called Crabs in a Bucket. And, and the whole Crabs in the Bucket theory is that, that when people from Lower County would try to get out of the bucket, that the crabs would bring them back down to keep them at their level. And so uh, are the people that you're surrounding yourself with inspiring you? Are they challenging you? And this isn't just physical connection anymore. This is also social media. So the people in your social media feed are also affecting how you view the world, whether you're inspired or whether you become uninspired, whether you think positively and optimistically or negatively and in a fear-based mindset. So it's not just the physical people, but it's also the people that are in your social media feed that are affecting how you feel now and, and you need to audit that. And, and if there's people that are in your social media right now that are distracting from your attention or optimism, just you can put them on a silent mode right now. Don't necessarily defriend them because that might start drama, but just make them silent right now. And, and so that you can focus on being more positive and optimistic. So you write about being an intentional creator. And I think everybody wants to be a creator because that drives positive things that are going to happen in your life. So talk about that. What is that? Yeah, so intentionality is something that's really critically important. And what's interesting, Mark, is when I go to corporations and do the more method training, this is the one aspect that most C-level and above executives and, and board members will say to me, wow, this is what I wasn't doing. This is the, the they were already motivated. They were, they had their to-do list and they were taking action but they weren't as intentional as they needed to be to be more successful. So being intentional means that you're pausing more often and you're evaluating things of why you're doing what you're doing on a frequent basis. So it starts with waking up in the morning and having a to-do list and not just having the to-do list, but walking through the day before the day starts. How is this going to look? What do you want to accomplish out of this meeting and the next meeting and the next meeting? Before even setting a meeting, setting the intention for the meeting. So I love when someone calls me and says, hey, could I have 30 minutes of your time? Here's what I want to accomplish. Awesome. Because now we know what we're talking about and working towards when we begin the conversation. So we get so much more out of the conversation with the intention there. We've all been to the meetings that we're sitting in for an hour and like, what's happening? There's nothing happening here, right? We're wasting so much time because there was no clear intention set. So when we're intentional, we're taking action with a clear reason of why. Now, yes, life gives us curveballs, and we sometimes have to adapt to what we thought was going to happen, like most people are right now. But being intentional is having a lot more strategy into why you're doing things so that you can keep moving towards your goals without, you know, the busier we get. And this is why, you know, the C-suite and above always say, Jen, this was the game changer. I'm so busy. I was just whirlwinding through my day, going in and out of meeting and having no idea what was happening and why I was doing things and just pausing for two to three minutes before each meeting and pausing two to three minutes after each meeting was such a game changer for everybody. So, you know, the one thing I keep hearing from you is that you've got to be well organized and you have to be well disciplined. I mean, everything that you talk about requires, you know, you're thinking about everything before you start your day, you lay out a game plan of what you're going to get done, then you have to have the discipline to stick with that uh, plan 
and also to evaluate who could be wasting your time that won't allow you to accomplish it. And therefore, if you don't accomplish it, then you feel uh, depressed and, and you feel like you came up short at the end of the day. Right. So, so what, what do you mean by mindfulness and how does that play a role being successful in whatever way you define it? So before I answer that question, I just want to uh, echo what you said about discipline. So what I found in the fitness industry when I was a competitor was discipline is an expression of self-worth. And that was really profound for me when I realized this. This sense of discipline was really aligned with people who had a high sense of self-worth and the, the acknowledgement that they were worthy of accomplishing things. And, and so um, let, let me also be clear. I love to also be a free spirit. That's why I'm naturally. I love to uh, you know, be spontaneous in life. So there is a balance that we can find between being disciplined and also enjoying life. And, and so for me, that's how I create boundaries. Like on the weekends, I create boundaries around not being so disciplined uh, and enjoying life and being a little bit more spontaneous and connected to my family. So, um, and, and that is an exercise of discipline in and of itself, especially for overachievers to learn how to just let loose and be present and enjoy life, right? So, yeah. So, um, but mindfulness in business is uh, just being very aware of, um, and, and this is aligning with intentional, uh, just being aware of, you know, what success means to you, right? So a lot of times, it, every time I do a keynote on this topic, I begin with the question, what is it that everyone in here wants more of? That question is so profound. And I highly recommend any of you who are leaders, who have staff, to ask this question to people often. What is it that you want more of? When they answer this question, you will see their values. You will see what they value and what they prioritize in their lives. Now, the next interesting part of this in, in the sense of human behavior is a lot of what they want more of is not aligned with their goals. So they're saying they want more time Yet their goals are to create a business and a structure that doesn't leverage time, right? So if somebody, if I was working with a client, I see they want more time, but I also see they're creating a business with a business model that does not leverage time. It's literally trading time for money. I would have to challenge them to say, okay, what you desire and what your goals are are two totally different things. So you're literally working against yourself all day, every day, trying to accomplish the goal and accomplish your desires that are completely out of alignment. So um, being mindful is really getting clear as to what it is that you want more of. What are you really working towards in your life? And making sure that your goals align with it and your habits align with it. So coming from a dysfunctional childhood, one of my greatest desires consistently, what I am most proud of in my achievements is consistent inner peace. Consistent inner peace, just having peace in my life. That's very valuable to me. So because that's valuable to me, I then can be very disciplined in not allowing people in my life that disrupt my inner peace, not taking on projects that will disrupt my inner peace, not doing things that do take me out of alignment with that desire. And that's why that question is so much more important than what are your goals? 
we must build with the foundation of what we want more of, then we can see our value system. And then we can decide how to live our lives based on that. So when we get clear to what we desire more of, we then get a lot more clarity into the behaviors, the daily habits that we need to stay in alignment and mindful of what we truly desire in life. So right now, people around the world have been under a lot of stress for a few months as you've been watching and reading and, and observing yourself. You write about emotional harmony affecting resiliency. I'm guessing a lot of your speeches have been canceled. How do you deal with, how do you manage to stay positive during this? Yeah, so that's a great point. It's a, uh, I feel the universe constantly gives me uh, lessons to continue to stay sharp uh, in, in my teaching. So I was right in the middle of a book launch. And as you know, Mark, book launches don't just happen by whim. There's things that are planned for like a year in advance. So uh, there's a lot of time and energy and resources that go to that. Um, I had between March 15th and June 30th, uh, over 40 speaking engagements and appearances canceled. And at this moment, I'm pretty much looking at probably most, if not all, of the speaking engagements and uh, book signings and appearances canceled through the rest of this year, which is oh. over another 65. So over 100 of the speaking engagements and appearances canceled. So that's massive revenue for, for a speaker, uh, as well as uh, the, the momentum of a book launch, which there's pressure upon from your publishers as well. Uh, so I had to, instead of crumble in the state of fear, uh, I had to say, okay, I can't control this. I can only adapt to it. And the more calm I stay and the more positive that I stay, the more I can adapt to it. And, and that's number one. That's like the first part of the process is to stay calm to not get in the state of fear, because fear is constriction. And constriction does not allow your brain to fully be optimal in strategy and creativity and innovation. Uh, and then, you know, how can I do this differently based on what's happening in the world? So obviously virtual things like this um, is a big part of the, the, the new strategy. Um, and, and staying focused on what's positive in it too. So a positive thing is a lot of companies didn't want me to do virtual trainings. They wanted me there in their office space. And sometimes it wasn't optimal time-wise for everybody. Well, for me specifically. So this change has allowed me to start to do a lot more virtual trainings for companies in different parts of the country or the world, which helps me maximize my time. So in, in, in adapting, I constantly always have to look to the positive of what I can focus on to not get down this negative rabbit hole of what's wrong and missing and gone, but seeking the opportunities because there's opportunities in every single obstacle. And I said in the very beginning, you know, I'm, I'm creating new companies right now. There's new companies that I'm starting two new ones uh, as we speak based on the fact that human behavior is changing. And every time there's a recession, human behavior changes, which means entrepreneurs have an opportunity to figure out what that change is and how to add value to the change behaviors. I, I mean, that's how I ended up starting this show. I just thought that entrepreneurs would like to learn things while they have this downtime. And I started doing a few interviews with people. And before you know it, I had a show and now I've got book publishers sending me books every week for me to put their people on, on this show. 
and now running them two a week. So I thought this would be a good time to take advantage of it. And now I see even greater opportunity. One of the things before, I want to circle back to the book, but before we do that, I want you to tell people how you became a motivational speaker and congratulations on being the motivational speaker of the year last year. Thank you. Talk about a little bit about that journey, like why you decided to do it. And, and you rose all the way to the top, but it wasn't overnight. It's about a decade. Oh, two decades. Uh-huh. <laughs> the overnight success was two, de- two decades long. Um, you know, it's funny, Mark. I never, uh, when I was younger, I didn't set out for something like this. As a matter of fact, my mom had a TV show when I was a kid. And uh, she would put me on as a kid commentator. And I was in grade school at this time. And other kids saw me on TV and would make fun. So I literally uh, took that experience and withered, diminished myself from that fear of being made fun of, the fear of people criticizing you, the fear of uh, standing out too much. And and for a long time in my uh, high school years, I would kind of fly under the radar in uh, not putting myself out there that much, not making myself too vulnerable. And my mom would force me and push me because uh, she would always say, you know, change can't be happen, change can't happen, or you can't really become an expansive version of yourself when you're hiding away from the world. And she made me take this public speaking class, which was a nightmare. When I tell you a nightmare to me, every time I had a speech, I felt sick for days in advance. And I know a lot of people listening know how that feels too. Uh, so when I was about 25 and I was in the fitness industry, uh, I was out there in, in a way that was really big, but I never thought of myself as a speaker. I'm just a teacher. I'm teaching people fitness and wellness. And so it kind of snuck up on me in a way that I didn't think about being a speaker, but I was just teaching things I was passionate about. And and uh, I faced my, my TV fear after ignoring it for all those years at 28, which really helped me expand. You know, when you face a fear, you grow so much. So facing that fear really made me expand and become an even more confident speaker uh, and confident in, in what I was saying, but confident in not worrying about so much what other people are thinking. And I know that that's what happens for a lot of people that want to speak more, want to teach more, they're paralyzed by the same fear that I was, which is worrying about what other people are going to think. And um, it is something that you have to be confident to get over or at least minimize the, the mental jargon and damage that, that happens in that process. Um, but you know, speaking to me is really just about having a megaphone to share my life experiences, to help other people with tools that have helped me uh, in different phases of life. And, and so when I stay connected, emotionally connected to that part of it, the real purpose of it, then I, I don't think so much about what I'm doing as much as just going out and making impact to the world. You know, uh, what's the hardest part of being a motivational speaker? Because like I imagine the best part is you're like a rock star up there and, and I've seen you and I've seen videos and everything else. So that's like super great. But what's the really hard part of doing that people don't really see and don't really appreciate? Yeah, so the prepar- there's a lot of preparation, um, especially when you're creating new content. Um, you know, doing my TED Talks 
was definitely one of the hardest things as a speaker I've ever done in my life because there's so much preparation because having an hour, you can talk a lot and you can riff and, and have more fun and uh, be more natural. But when you're doing something that's that short of a speech, every single word matters and every single thought is connected to another thought. So the preparation for things like that uh, are, are pretty intense. Uh, you know, a lot of repetition, a lot of doing your keynotes to yourself. A lot of people don't like to watch themselves back. So a lot of doing keynotes for yourself and watching back and editing, just like, you know, a football player would do on their Monday morning films. Um, one of the, the hardest things for me was, and this is connected to what I was just saying, one of the hardest things for me was, was not to get on stage and think about what other people are thinking uh, and, and not to over edit myself because of what I thought that other people were thinking, reading their body language. So I started a, a ritual many years ago where um, I'm very spiritual. So I'd basically uh, go backstage before I would speak and I would meditate. I'd put earbuds in and, and do a guided meditation to get out of my head uh, and, and more into my heart and centered. And um, basically just think to myself, I'm now a vessel. When I step on stage, I'm now becoming a vessel of information that I would like to tap into a greater consciousness than myself and, and just be used as that vessel. So I would literally envision it as just information coming down and out to the audience that they need to hear. And, and it's amazing when you do that. Um, I, I know, Mark, you've probably experienced this before, where it's almost like you're in a trance. When you get off stage, you're like, I have no idea what I just said. It just flowed through me. Uh, and so when I learned how to let information flow and stop editing, uh, that's where my career as a speaker really accelerated. Is it lonely being on the road? Or are you by yourself typically? Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I, I like being alone uh, too. So I'm very social, but I'm also very much introverted. And when you speak, uh, those of you who have spoken in front of big audiences, it can be really exhausting. Um, your adrenaline's up. So physiologically, your adrenaline's up and then it crashes because you're just on. And then you're also energetically taking on other people's energy uh, in the audience and, and giving that back energy out. So um, for me, I actually enjoy the quiet time uh, in between. Uh, you know, and if you want interaction, uh, at every event I go to, there's always the people in charge that say, hey, you're invited to this dinner if you want to go. You're invited to this cocktail party if you want to go. And so you don't have to be isolated if you don't want to be. I'm, I'm somewhat in the middle. Um, and, and, you know, the fun part, too, is traveling all over the world and all over this country is you make friends everywhere. So when you go back to certain places, you start to have friends in those locations. So if you want to be social and have a local experience, that's also at your fingertips. Going back to an intentional uh, creation, Mark, I intentionally created this lifestyle when I realized that I love traveling and I love teaching and I realized I love traveling and teaching as a speaker I can get paid to travel and teach at the same time so that's when that's when it became intentional to me when I identified my love of those two different things 
Uh, and that's where I put more intentional energy and focus on uh, creating it as a, a, a career, not just a secondary kind of thing. So how do you get the balance? Because you've got, it's twins, isn't it? Yes. Yes, right. I have twin daughters. So how do you manage the balance of being a mom and uh, being an international speaker? Because it's, you're on a plane all the time going somewhere. Yeah, at first I needed to have a really great ex-husband who was supportive uh, in my endeavors. Uh, his mindset and belief is that because my, my daughters are girls, they're looking more to me of who they can be uh, and, and more to him for the relationship that they have with, with men. So uh, he's been very supportive of that. So that was really critically important. Uh, it's, it's funny, um, Sheryl Sandberg in her book, uh, really talks about this, and, and a lot of people have missed this point, the this lean in. Lean in. Yep. Yeah, so a lot of people miss this in lean in, and to me, it was the loudest part that I heard was, you know, who you marry really will predicate a lot of what you're capable of achieving. Uh, and, and, and who you marry might be potentially someone who you might divorce, and, and if you can do that in a conscious way with, and have a conscious relationship, it's going to make life easier. And so that was a, a big part of it. Um, another thing was to take my girls on the journey with me as much as I can as they got older. Uh, and so they love traveling now too, and they love exploring new things, and they would get to meet a lot of different speakers along the way. And my mom did that with me. And I actually hated it as a child, quite honestly. Uh, she would take me to all these work events and to the TV studio all the time after school. And I really didn't like it. I just wanted to be playing with my friends. But I realized how much an impression who I was and who I am today. And, and so I do that with my girls uh, as well. Uh, the the, the tr truth of it is when my girls were really little, I realized that there was no such thing as balance. Uh, balance was just an illusion of this word that things are, are in check here at home and then things are in check here at, at work and everything just kind of balances on a scale. And, and, I, and that didn't seem realistic to me. So I took a different approach, which was um, I used my professional life to re-energize me as, as a parent. And I used my life as a parent to re-energize my 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 psyche and, and how I was re how I was viewing my professional life. So instead of saying if I have this, cause entrepreneurs don't have separation of these things either. Right. So it's not like I'm going to clock out and go in my home and everything's just, you know, totally different. Our entrepreneur takes that home with them and vice versa. Um, but it was about challenging myself to be more present and, and, and engaged in my life in that role to re-energize me for the opposite role. And, and that's how I found my so-called balance throughout all these years. One of the things I thought was interesting in your book, and I think guys in particular, I hate to say this, have a problem with is, how do you turn uh, conflict? How do you deal with conflict and make it a positive? Because I think men, and maybe uh, women as well, but especially men, always try to avoid conflict whenever they can. But you talk about how to use conflict in a positive way and engage it uh, to make it work for you? Yeah, so both genders, uh, depending on their programming, avoid conflict. Um, when they do address it, though, what I've found, and this is a generalization amongst genders, they, they, they approach it differently. So when conflict arises and they're deciding to handle it, 
Usually a woman wants to deal with it in that moment uh, and work through it. And sometimes, uh, often, men want to take a time out, process how they're feeling, and then come into the conversation when they're ready, um, which is actually, from a behavioral management, the better strategy, quite honestly. Um, because when we're too uh, intense in our emotional state, uh, and we want to talk about something then and now to get it done with, we're not usually our best version self. We're usually uh, being more triggered, more emotional, more defensive. All of these things happen when we don't take the pause, process how we feel, and then we engage. But what's interesting is many people have learned, usually from parents or grandparents or just society itself, to avoid conflict. And I ask this question at all my speaking engagements, how many of you love conflict? <laughs> and people look at me like, what? What do you mean love conflict? Maybe two people will raise their hands. And I, then I'll ask how many of you uh, avoid conflict? And usually it's about 98% of the room will raise their hands. And it's because we're taught, again, goes back to beliefs, we're taught that conflict's a bad thing. And the interesting thing is conflict is actually a really good thing when you approach it correctly, emotionally intelligent way, uh, to solve a problem. In conflict, in working through conflict productively, is where people actually create greater trust and intimacy in the relationship. And, and, and many people don't think that, or even realize that, so they avoid it. But when two people are in conflict, and they work through it productively, they now have developed communication skills between that relationship, and they've developed a trust trust because they realize each party wanted to work through something, not just give up the relationship or walk away from it or label that person as a bad person, but when two people actually work through something, they understand that that, that relationship is more meaningful than it was before the conflict. So conflict, is only bad when approached in a way that you're seeking to be right instead of seeking to understand. Conflict is a great thing when you are seeking to solve a problem. And, and in, in solving the problem, you must seek to understand the other person's point of view, not just project your point of view and think that you're right because that's your perspective, uh, which is, leads me to one other really important thing is you know, perspective is one of the only things that we have control of in our lives, our perspective of how we view the world. And we can change our perspective literally at any moment. That's in our control. That's part of our power. But many people give this power away or they don't ever realize that your perspective is simply your perspective. It is not the truth. It's just your perspective. Again, it's not the truth. It's just how you're choosing to view something in that moment. So when we all can understand this, especially as leaders, we can realize our perspective is only our perspective. It is not the truth. And we can choose to see it differently. We are so much now more powerful in communication with other people. And we can more easily choose to see other people's perspectives. We might not agree with their perspective, but when we can respect their perspective, we can create so much more harmonious relationships in our lives. So I got a few, um, we only have a few more minutes left, a few just a very quick questions. One is you talk about positive affirmation. So how do you use that uh, with employees, with your kids, and with your significant other? 
Sure. So I love positive affirmations because this is part of the brain changing process. So I mentioned earlier, you identify beliefs that you have. You need to flip the belief and then repeat that new belief. That's the affirmation. And so affirmations are actually tools to change the hardwiring in your brain and actually helps you create new neural pathways in your brain. This is Neuroscience 101. These new neural pathways are messenger systems in your brain. The affirmations help program the message and then affirm, strengthen that neural pathway in your brain. So we can use affirmations for ourselves or teach other people how to use affirmations to improve their lives as well. And this is something I learned from my mindset trainers back in my 20s when I told you I was traveling the world and meeting all these incredible thought leaders on mindset training. One of the first tools I learned was how to create affirmations. And, and when we create affirmations, we don't just say them, but we need to visualize and emotionally connect to what we are saying as well. So uh, if you're affirming some new aspect of your life, you know, maybe you have incredibly harmonious relationships. Uh, and, and it's an affirmation that you're saying every day. Uh, I love and, and attract only uh, high quality people and have high quality relationships. You don't just say that, but you think about how that feels, what that looks like, and that then creates energy and motion. Now we're moving into quantum physics, energy and motion, and so that actually becomes more of an attractor to what you, it is that you're desiring. So affirmations are just words. They're thoughts, they're words, and they're emotions and visual images when all put together actually intentionally help you create the life that you desire. So uh, two more quick questions. Uh, one is, what do you do? How do you spend your free time? Are you binge watching stuff uh, like Ozark and everything? Or what do you do with your free time? No, I, um, I definitely have watched more TV in the last two months than I ever did in my life. But um, I'm not a big TV watcher. Um, I like to be active. Uh, I like to be out doing things if possible. Like today is a beautiful day. Uh, so if I can take all my calls while I'm walking, that's what I do. Um, you know, go to, uh, you know, in a normal state, I travel a lot, obviously, but even now during this, on the weekends, head to the Poconos or to the shore, uh, get outdoors, change pace. When I'm watching things, I typically like to be watching things that I'm learning something. So maybe if I am watching, uh, you know, something on Netflix, it's more of a documentary uh, or positive uh, type of videos, reading. I love, love, love reading. So that's my last question for you, by the way. Uh, yeah. What books, podcasts, magazines do you read that you would encourage other people to? Um, I read so much in so many different areas, but um, Russell Brunson right now is one of my favorite people to uh, listen to his podcast. Uh, the reason is, is because as all this world is becoming more virtual, uh, I have committed to up-leveling my own ability to create funnels and create uh, different portals of, of different businesses and programs. So um, I am obsessed with his marketing genius. Uh, he's just, while he talks about technology a lot, definitely talking a lot about um, uh, um, unique marketing and, and value propositions. Um, I read a ton of spiritual content. Um, another book right now that I, I love and recommend to a lot of people is from my friend Kendra Hall, uh, and it's called Stories That Stick, uh, and it's about storytelling. And so 
why I find this to be very important is because storytelling is everything. Uh, how you engage with people is how you tell the story of who you are and the questions that you ask of who they are. And so storytelling has always been pretty natural for me. Um, but this book is, is such a great framework for people and it's funny and it's engaging. But if you ever desire to be a speaker, it is a must have book uh, that you absolutely must pay attention to. And, um, and, and one of the, I actually just did an interview with this gentleman who owns this company called Prove It. Uh, his name is Brian Underwood and he has a podcast called BU. And um, I just got turned on to it because I was on it and I was listening to it, you know, some episodes before. Uh, so that's one of my newest favorite, but I just consume content all day, uh, whether it's videos, whether it's books, audiobooks. Um, Could you say much- the name of the book and the author again? Uh, which one? Uh, both of them then. Kendra Hall, uh, Stories That Stick. Uh, Russell Brunson, he's got multiple books. Here's one of them that I find. Um, this is what I'm rereading right now, Dot Com Secrets. Very important for people today. Uh, he also has a book called Marketing Secrets. Here's the other book that I have published, Promote and Profit, obviously, because I'm in the middle of a book launch. Uh, so... Um, and, and Brian Underwood, uh, BU, is the name of his podcast uh, that I just recently got turned on to as well. So those are ones in all different genres and spaces. But um, uh, I think, as, especially for those of you who are uh, into growth, I think it's really important for us to, you know, I obviously love human potential content, but I think it's important for me to get out of just the one genre and keep reading things that, that are uncomfortable or really challenge uh, my understanding of things. So that's what I consistently look to do. Jen, thanks so much for spending uh, the time with us today. I hope you are able to get back on the road or at least go virtual. And uh, I hope everybody will get this book. It's out now, right? That you can get the book. Yes, yes. It's live on Amazon right now. That was an interesting thing that happened during the uh, the lockdown too. Amazon didn't accept new products for a while. So uh, yeah, so it's live. Please get it. And uh, I'd love to hear everybody's feedback and how it impacted their lives. Uh, and, and please share it with other people who you feel might help impact their lives too. Uh, that's my mission to help heal the world. Jen, it was great having you. Great seeing you. Enjoy Thank the rest you. of your day. Thank you, everyone, and thank you for all of your comments. I really appreciate it. I, I listened, to, I, I read all of them, so thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Stay safe, everybody. Bye bye. Bye, everyone.